0: The Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. Welcome
1: to the Lloyd's List Podcast, your weekly view on the stories shaping shipping. I'm Richard Mead, editor of Lloyd's List. This week's podcast is crossing continents for the first time because I'll be offering you an interview in London with the outgoing International Chamber of Shipping Secretary General Peter Hinchliffe. But not before I introduce you to our China editor, Sichen Chen, here in Hong Kong. Evening, Sichen. Hello, Richard. Now, you've been out in Shanghai for the past week, talking to the uh, great and the good of the Chinese shipping industry, and unsurprisingly, it seems that uh, a slowing Chinese economy and the impact of the trade war hampering shipping's prospects is uh, keeping them up at night. Give us a flavour of the mood out in Shanghai right now.
0: Well, I I think the uh, sentiment I got there is that uh, the fears are growing there uh, regarding the uh escalating trade war between China and the US and not least the slowing Chinese economy uh, in which we've just seen the uh, second quarter economic uh, results published by the government uh, earlier this week. And I mean in terms
1: of the the view that you're getting from the the shipping community they're looking both short and long term because I mean it swings and roundabouts for them right now isn't it?
0: Yes, I mean, uh, on July the 6th, I mean, you have seen the 25% tariff, which has already been imposed on uh, a 34 billion worth of Chinese imports. Uh, that is actually, it's just a tip of the iceberg, mm. uh, you know, which people are not really much concerned about. Uh, what are really worrisome is actually the escalation, which you've already, you know, heard that uh, President Donald Trump uh, has ordered to kick off the process of mm. another uh, two hundred billion worth of Chinese imports. I mean, during the last week's conference in China, actually right after uh, Mr. Donald Trump's announcement, you started to hear like Costco shipping chairman, uh, Rong actually said publicly uh, uh, during the conference that uh, he's actually concerned about uh, the trade friction uh, casting a shadow of the recovery of shipping. You know, it is actually the first time that I ever heard uh, like a top leader of a Chinese state on shipping company uh, you know, voiced his concern over such uh, an issue. I still remember like uh, last year, you know, when the, the top executives of Costco, when they actually uh, hosted a press conference in Hong Kong, they said that the trade war it, it shouldn't be a concern at all for shipping. They said the, mm. the impact will be very minor. But you know, obviously, the, the the tone has changed.
1: Yeah, and it, uh, coming through from your reporting, you know, both in Shanghai, but also the, you know what you're hearing on the ground is, is really that, yes, there is sentiment, and yes, we're not necessarily seeing the the hard results of the uh, the, the trade war sort of hitting the the, the, the volumes. But there is a, a changing of tone in terms of the anticipation of things to come, and genuinely there are shipping companies and senior executives that normally are very bullish and positive about this thing that are now actually warning of of dire consequences and and real impact on bottom line
0: exactly i think they are taking it seriously Mm. now especially with the you know growing reports from analysts uh, that, uh, you know, the escalation of the trade war would, would actually have a quite significant impact on shipping, especially container shipping between China and the U.S. Mm. Uh, for example, you know, uh, JP Morgan has forecasted that if the 200 billion uh, tariff uh, were put into place, then, you know, it will actually, it would actually reduce the uh, China exports to U.S., by nearly 9%. And also, we've heard, like Jury said, that, uh, you know, if that uh, escalation would uh, go further to uh, 450 billion U.S. dollars uh, worth of Chinese imports, then, you know, it will knock down the China to U.S. eastbound container traffic by... Uh, about 20%, mm. those are quite actually tr- significant uh, uh, figures, especially given the fact that our industry is still being troubled by overcapacity issues. So any marginal impact on the growth will, will be significant. And also, you know, in, in addition to that, uh, we we have the, the slowing Chinese economy actually adding to the uh, the field. Yeah.
1: Um, you know, well, that's the thing. These, these, these warnings, these negative signs, taken by themselves, you could almost dismiss them as political rhetoric and, and, and you know, rumblings about things that are, uh, you know, perhaps not necessarily going to be the be all and end all of everything, but coming on top of what is increasingly looking like a Chinese economy that's struggling to meet its own growth targets and uh, forecasts. That's that's doubly concerning, I
0: guess. Oh, Exactly, exactly. So you basically have a uh, two-dimensional issue. On one hand, you have the uh, trade war actually threatening China's exports to US. On the other hand, you have the slowing domestic economy actually uh, casting a shadow on the Chinese imports, uh, especially imports uh, for commodities such as iron ore and uh, Uh, crude oil in the longer run. So, you know, uh, I I actually talked to several analysts, uh, Chinese-based, China-based analysts last week. The general sentiment is that, uh, you know, they're quite pessimistic about uh, uh, China's demand for, uh, you know, commodities in the longer run, uh, given, you know, the current economic predicament that China is facing.
1: Brilliant. Well, interesting times. Um, and uh, hopefully next time the podcast is back out here with you in Hong Kong, we'll uh, have a slightly more optimistic picture to uh, present to our listeners. But for now, thank you very much, Yeah no, Thank you, Richard. Cheers. The shipping industry is going through a seismic period of change. Over the last few years, technology has converged to change the digitalization argument on many fronts. And around it, the context of regulation, uh, technology, Politics have really shifted a number of the debates for shipping. Um, during that period, the International Chamber of Shipping has itself gone through a period of fairly seismic change, and steering the ICS through that shift has been Peter Hinchliffe. Now, eight years on from taking over as Secretary General, Peter is about to step down, and we're here with him in London
2: um, discussing the changes that you have seen, Peter, over that period. Yeah, I think this has been a very significant period of change. We've seen the IMO shift from a focus very much on safety and really consolidating the SOLAS Convention into responding to political pressure on environmental issues and trying to bring the industry into a position where its impact on the environment can be much more controlled. And, you know, if you just think back over the last 10 years or so, the, the, all of those things like the Ballast Water Convention, the current... Um, Uh, regulation on sulfur and all the the current uh, discussion that's giving rise to, even going back as far as the anti-fouling convention and of course the latest discussion on CO2, these are seismic shifts for the industry. Mm. They're shifts that the industry needs to make but they are also extremely costly issues and it is really this interface between environmental compliance, the the image of the industry and and the cost which is uh, causing all of the current concerns. Mm.
1: I mean, it is it, probable that every generation looks back nostalgically at uh, the challenges that their predecessors face. But, I, you know, from from this point in 2018, it seems to me that the shipping industry prior to uh, the global challenges of security post 9-11 with uh, ISPS, prior to the international pressures on uh, environment uh, coming not just from uh, the shipping industry's own customers, but uh, supranational bodies like the UNFCCC, these are issues that are coming at shipping um, from a, a macro perspective. The shipping industry and the International Maritime Organization um, prior to that, was pretty good at dealing with technical issues and dealing with its own, um, you know, politics and regulatory aspects sort of internally. But it, it strikes me that the bigger issues have been much harder to deal with. And, and you're really sat here representing the industry amid some some big things that really
2: are much larger than shipping. How do you how do you characterise that and how do you deal with that? Well, I think that is right. I think that the the political impact on the IMO has certainly changed. And and you mentioned some uh, macro factors. I would also bring in piracy and the, the current issue with migrant rescues. These are issues which are totally external to the IMO, but they're issues which the IMO has had to get very closely engaged in. So, um, yeah, response to this political to these political pressures um, has been a, a sort of seminal period for the IMO. And I have seen the IMO shift, and I think that the way that we have dealt with it as the representatives of the industry has also changed to keep pace with that. And I think in some areas, actually, we we can be quite proud. We've been slightly ahead of the IMO thinking. Would it be fair to say that
1: reform is in the air, not just uh, you know across the industry, but probably at the IMO as well?
2: I wouldn't say that reform is in the air. I would say that reform is much required. There is a real pressing need for the IMO to get on with what we might call enhanced regulation. We need to have a different approach to regulation. It's all very well the IMO developing regulation in isolation, in a stovepipe to deal with a specific issue. There's nothing wrong with that. But where the IMO process needs to be enhanced is it needs to look at what is the impact of that new regulation? What is its cost effectiveness? Are we actually choosing the right path to solve a recognised problem? Are we looking at how does this new regulation interact with the existing uh, rule books and perhaps above all, what is the impact going to be on the cost and flexibility of maritime trade? And if the IMO doesn't take account of those things, then it's not serving the best interests of the industry or in fact of any of its stakeholders.
1: Mm. And this is something you've characterized as smart regulation. And it's not uh, an alien concept to the IMO. I think it's uh, probably the, the the bedrock of um, the, the manifesto that, that Kitak Lim, the current Secretary General, came in on. But saying it and doing it have proved to be uh, two separate things. It's quite difficult to change an institution like the IMO with 174 member state governments. I'm not really seeing that change come
2: through. Are you? Not with the enthusiasm that I would like to see. Um, I think uh, there was interest in the council when IACS and ICS got together and proposed uh, something to do with smart regulation. Now, it's all very well and easy to talk about smart regulation for shipping, but that need, that concept, which is good, needs to be expanded so that it is taken into account by the IMO. And you're quite right. The enthusiasm for a change in the process has waned. But um, I would never give up on issues like this. I think there is, you know, to me, there is a real pressing need to do it. And I think that efforts and resources need to be put to making sure that the IMO does move with the times. Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, just to characterize the idea of smart regulation, you, what, essentially what you're saying is, is regulation that is fit for purpose, that is um, measurable and probably less uh, reactive, should we say, to, to uh, sort of casualties and industry problems and more proactive and. and really assessing not just the, um, the regulatory side of things but also the environmental and the social dynamics at play to make sure that when you
2: put a piece of regulation into place it actually has an impact. Well I think you've characterised the problem, um, maybe just to expand on that I think it's really difficult for an organisation, for any UN body or any, any intergovernmental group to get to grips with a really wide concept. It's very easy for them to focus on a specific issue. But when you start to expand on what the impacts might be, it becomes much more difficult and it makes the international debate much more complex and probably makes it slightly longer. But my fundamental point is if you get this right and you make it better, and the regulation is more understandable to people and it's known what the impacts are going to be, then this terrible delay that the IMO suffers, waiting for ratification, will be shortened. So I, so I see this as a process where you, you spend more time at the beginning, but you need to wait less time at the end before the regulation will become enforceable. Mm.
1: Not an uncontroversial position to be taking as the Secretary-General of the ICS. And yet, there are difficulties now. Take bringing it back to the ICS and how the ICS operates we as an industry have talked about the um fragmentation of representation with the industry. We have an acronym soup of industry bodies from the ICS and BIMCO at the top down to uh, sector-specific and and national, even regional national um, uh, bodies that all filter up into a cacophony of voices not always agreeing with each other. Now, that's healthy debate for the industry and probably as it should be, but once it gets to IMO level, the danger is that this fragmentation of representation uh, is less effective. And certainly when you're dealing with supranational arguments at the UNFCCC and politicians who probably wouldn't know one end of a tanker from the other, it becomes much more difficult if the industry is not seen to have a unified voice. Now, we don't have a unified voice. Uh, you know, you have made some efforts towards that, but uh, perhaps some uh, advice for your uh, successor and the rest of the industry as they look for a more unified voice, perhaps?
2: I think we've made a lot of ground towards a unified voice, but, but uh, just to come back on some of your assumptions... First of all, ICS is the only body in the IMO that covers all sectors and all trades. So we have a responsibility to try to make sure that the views that we're taking will be endorsed by, particularly by the other sectoral organisations. Having said that, I would not wish to remove sectoral interest from the IMO debate. It's really important that the in-depth views of those sectors are heard. And there are a lot of single interest uh, organisations whose views are valuable to the IMO. But the only rider would be they must contribute. You know, it's no good just turning up with the IMO, taking the notes and going home and reporting to your members. The whole reason for those single sector organizations having been given the the honor of being able to sit in the debates is that they are there to contribute and that is one of the criteria for continued membership of the IMO. So they must contribute and uh, that would be my main plea to them. So tell us your views. And there is of course a need for Um, better uh, liaison across the industry I wouldn't deny that I think as I said I think we have made good inroads but there's always room for improvement so a focus has got to be given to that coordination. And more widely
1: what's on your handover notes to your successor when you leave? What are the the things you haven't quite got to and what are the things you would urge him to do in his uh, tenure uh, when he takes over?
2: Well, I think, um, for me personally, the timing is right. I think I I had a list of things that I wanted to put into place when I took over in 2010. Those things have all been delivered, and I think now is a really good time for a new person to come in with new ideas. I hope and believe that the fundamental concepts of ICS will not change. The way that ICS gathers the views of industry through its members in what I think is a remarkably good and efficient democratic process will continue. But um, there is room for us to be more efficient. Um, We could do more with more resources. So there is, um, you know, there are things that I hope that um, Guy Platton will will bring in with a fresh pair of eyes. And I'm very supportive of that idea of making it more efficient.
1: And for you personally, is uh, Peter Hinchliffe disappearing off the uh, into the horizon over the hills in your uh, Gore-Tex walking
2: boots, or are you uh, staying in the industry? Well, I'm certainly hoping that I'll get more walking in uh, and and perhaps have more time for a few other hobbies as well. But I also um, have a passion for the industry. I've never done anything outside the industry. I don't think my working days are over yet. Um, So I hope that I'll be able to contribute in some way, but that's largely in the hands of others at the moment.
1: Well, we hope you stick around for uh, several years to come. Peter, thank you very much for uh, talking to us again and best of luck in the future.
2: Thanks very much, Richard.